So should we just go into it or what? Yeah, let's rock it. All right. <laughs> you know, well, you don't know how to start. <laughs> <laughs> Bit splitting with Daniel Jalkin. My guest today is Guy English, co-founder of Aged and Distilled and co-organizer of the Singleton Conference. Today's show is sponsored by Mapbox, fast, beautiful, custom maps for web and mobile. Folks, I am very excited to introduce my guest today, Mr. Guy English, hailing from beautiful Montreal, Canada, Quebec, right? Exactly. Um, and mm, folks have probably heard about you, Guy, from uh, many of your accomplishments, uh, including the Singleton Conference, which you uh, co-organize, um, your work in the iOS and Mac development realms, uh, recently developed a very popular new Mac app called Napkin. Uh, anything else I'm forgetting about your sort of high-level, who is this guy, Mr. Guy English introduction? Uh, I don't think so. I, well, I've got a podcast. I do Debug. Oh, Debug, of course. Yeah. Debug, an excellent podcast, uh, interview style that's in some in some way inspirational to this podcast. Um, so I... M- I am uh, regretful that I overlooked that, <laughs> but it's really great well, you, to have yeah. you. Uh, go go ahead. Well, we're we're pals, so it's kind of weird to be listing off. That's you right. Know, it's I, like just we know each other very well, so it's not like you know me through any certain thing, right? Right. And the challenge is, I have to take a step back and say I know this guy, but all of the listeners out there may not know him as well as I do. Right. So, getting around to that, one of the points of this for me, is getting to know you even better than I already do. And everybody out there listening will benefit from that, I hope. Uh, unless there's some real real dirty secrets that we shouldn't be, uh, shouldn't be uncovering. But, uh, you know, uh, one of the things I, I, have to, I have to mention, talking to you, Guy, which you're so tired of hearing about, but um, I have to ask, is Guy English your real name? <laughs> Yeah, it is actually. It actually it, is. It really is. It's on my passport. Yeah. And I knew that, and I was teasing you, but you have to get that a lot, right? Oh, I get that all the time. So, like, I show up at a restaurant with a reservation, and on the screen it says English, comma guy, <laughs> English guy. That's a good one. You know, constantly the jokes. And I, it must yeah. be it must be uh, particularly ripe for celebration or or the opposite living in montreal where french is of course yeah sometimes it's almost like i'm being a jerk to people <laughs> like they'll ask me my right. name in french and i'll say english and then they'll ask me my name in english and i'm like no no my name is actually english like i'm not trying to be and they're just like but at this point they've they've already like thrown up, up their arms and have yeah but you know disgust. what usually once it gets determined that my name actually is guy english it's silly enough that even if we got off on the wrong foot they're like okay that's just that's a stupid name so we're gonna laugh along with you so i i um one of the things one of the other things i know about you is that not only is your name English, but weren't you actually born in England? Yeah. 
I was yeah. Uh, so you have some you have some credibility to this fake name, even even in spite of everything, even in spite of now living. How long have you lived in uh, in Montreal? Oh God, uh, I'm trying to figure out how old I am now. Thirty eight now. Moved when I was like seven or eight, so about thirty years. So you spent the first seven years in in England. Seven years in England. Yeah, I was born in uh, Newcastle. Newcastle. Okay. Well, I have I have enjoyed their their swill swill beer. Um, <laughs> I'm actually a fan of Newcastle. Uh, I know a lot of people think that it's kind. Of, I, I, I've like admitted this to some English people, and they're like Newcastle. Oh, I guess it has kind of a reputation as being kind of like a. Maybe like a little bit of a thug, yeah. well, like a sport, like like what you'd like what you'd uh, what you'd sw- uh, guzzle down at a sports match or something. Uh, the town or the beer? No, the beer, the beer. Okay, well, the town was a bit rough during the the, the Thatcher years. That's why, because it was a it was a coal mining town. Oh, so I when they you. shut that okay. down, the the economy just totally collapsed. Uh, the beer, I don't even. I'm not that much of a fan of the beer. I don't even know if that's really indicative of typical drink in uh, newcastle right so just be, i don't know just I'm, I'm not gonna, where, it, where it happens to be made huh? yeah i'm not gonna i'm not gonna defend that for no good reason <laughs> right uh so montreal when you're seven or eight years old so i guess you're coming into third grade and what was that like coming into a totally french culture as a as a little kid uh interesting because well, I mean, a I was young, so I, I, I maybe this won't be. Uh, you know, I didn't have the the, the wits about me to be as cognizant about, of the situation as I would be now. You know, um, I, I'm surprised to hear that. I mean, you were eight years old. Yeah, <laughs> but a few years before I moved here, uh, Quebec had instituted what what's called Bill 101, which is um, an effort by the government to mandate certain language laws. And one of the provisions, in order to preserve the, uh, the Francophone culture in Quebec, and one of the provisions of that law was that anybody um, whose parents weren't educated in English in Quebec was obliged to go to uh, an, an all-French school, hmm. an immersion school, or they had to go to be privately schooled so when i came here uh i didn't know a word of french like i tried learning it but it was all academic you know in the couple of months before we before we moved here um right so i ended up going into uh a private school in here for a couple of years uh so that was interesting um and do you, do you feel like that? So I, I assume when you say you went into a private school that it was maybe an English leaning or completely oh, yeah. English. Oh, yes, yeah, right, yeah, that, that, yeah. It was a, it was an entirely English private school. I mean, we we had French classes and everything, but it was a it was an English school, um, and they changed the law a little bit after that because um, so many people have been cheating in various ways. Like they'd managed to get their kid into an English school despite the fact that. It was against the law. Hmm. That they, oh, so they 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 wanted to get into the. I see. I got it. I got you now. Yeah. So they, they, they were well. You know, English. Some English parents or English immigrants wanted their kids educated in English and somehow managed to had managed to finagle it. So a few years after I got here, they uh, sort of gave a, a grace period 
where it's mm. like, okay, if your kid has been educated legally in English, he can just, or they can just go back into the regular English stream and we're going to let it go because they don't want to disrupt, you know, kids' lives that much. Uh, and then they tweak the law a little bit. And I'm, I'm unaware of what exactly the ramifications are right now. So I don't want to, I don't want to be recorded right, right. saying something that's not, <laughs> you, it's not. You don't want to make a statement against your country? No, and you know what? At the time, and certainly growing up, I like the the language laws annoyed me as a as an Anglo from the West Island. Um, but I've grown to believe that they're a very good idea. No, not a very good idea, but they're. Uh, I see the the, the necessity, or, or I can at least see the um, uh, not necessity. What's the word for it? The the impetus, the 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 ra- rationale. The ra- like, yeah, the rationale yeah. behind them. I think it's still weird, and I don't think it's terribly effective. But I can understand the uh, the thinking behind it. Now, I'm not going to go like I promise. This whole show won't be you know Montreal politics or Quebec politics. But when I uh, the, the things that like growing up in uh, California, I didn't learn too much about Montreal. It's the other side of the continent. It's mm-hmm. the other. It's another country. Um, but every once in a while, we would learn. We would hear something like Quebec is threatening to like dis disjoin itself from mm-hmm. the rest of Canada. And this is yeah. right. And this is something that's come up, like, I guess in waves in, in Quebec, it kind of comes up and then goes back down. Um, <clears throat> have you been, have you been in, in, I mean, since you've been living in Canada, has this been something that like you were offered a vote on? Or yeah. Like a, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I'm trying to remember if I was old enough to vote. I think I was pretty, pretty sure I was. And ha- I'm getting, I'm getting just- old, man. I got to check, check my dates. Um, so there was, there's been two referendums on separating Quebec from Canada. The first one was uh, 1980, I believe. You caught me flat-footed. I didn't do my research in my own life before we before <laughs> started talking. But the first one was like shortly before I got here. Right. Um, and it was uh, it, the decision was no, Quebec wanted to remain part of Canada. And then there was another one. 91, somewhere around there, um, where, uh, again, the question was put, and again, although by a much slimmer margin, uh, Quebec decided to remain part of Canada still. Um, Quebec's pretty unique, and then it's got a French, uh, like a large French culture, Um, for a long time was sort of the economic capital of Canada. Hmm. it's not anymore like that's now moved to toronto um and you know there was a lot of cultural distinction and and, and sort of a fear that that culture would um be eroded in mm-hmm. inside you know by being a part of a larger english canada which is you know culturally i don't want to say dominated but definitely informed by you know what you guys are doing in the states right so there was a bit of a sort of, you know, a feeling that if Quebec separated, it would be able to manage its own culture or, you know, more, like retain its own culture yeah. outside of the Canadian framework. It's interesting because I think of, you know, I, as, I, as I said, growing up, I knew nothing really of Montreal. I have had the fortune of visiting twice now, thanks to your... Singleton conference and 
I get a real I get a real nice feeling from Montreal in a lot of ways. Great. And one of the things it actually I can draw parallels between it and New York because it just seems to have this great dense diversity. I, I realize Montreal isn't quite as big and uh sort of mm-hmm. monolithic as New York. But um it's just sort of when you were saying that it it brought up for me like there's something really culturally unique about New York and it's kind of funny to think that you know like New York doesn't really need to protect its identity mm-hmm. against against the rest of the United States like it it is so firmly grounded although i guess you know some people might might argue that it does uh the, the more mcdonald's open up in <laughs> in yeah. Manhattan or whatever. But um Well that's a question. That's... I mean, is the identity of New York the you know, the 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 grungy one from the nineteen eighties? Right. That's a good I mean, that's a good point. Is it has certainly changed. Uh and I guess you, you will certainly find people who regret some of those changes and well, Yeah, I mean because you know, you hear that New York has changed and it's become sort of Disney fied over the right. past twenty, thirty years. Uh, but it used to be kind of a hellhole in in certain in certain <laughs> ways, ways, you right. know, <laughs> right. or at least seemed to be a hellhole. I don't know, but the yeah. you know, murder and crime rate is way down. So, based on not getting killed, it seems to be an improvement, <laughs> right? So I actually moved when I was a kid, about the same age you were, seven between seven and eight, uh, from Northern California to sort of not central but uh you know further down south in california and i wonder i I remembered um having this feeling like for some number of years i was still quote-unquote from (laughs) the other place oh yeah i had that for years many years yeah so at some point you just sort of gradually migrate over you say i'm actually from canada Mm. and do you feel that way now or yeah yeah in fact i kind of take umbrage of people that say that they're like, I, I, I'm not thinking of anybody in particular, but they say like, yo, I'm German or I'm French or I'm English uh, because their parents were born in another country. Right. But while they were still born in, in Canada, because if, you know, if you ask me, not just say I'm Canadian and right. I actually have a, you know, I've got a passport from, from the UK. Um, oh, is that right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I was born there. I'm a, I'm an English citizen. But but you also have a Canadian passport. I yes. Assume. Yeah. Yeah. We yeah. Okay. yeah There's dual right. citizenship. Plus, it's uh, right. it's all in the Commonwealth, so we're all good friends. You know. You've got you've got all kinds of connections working for you there. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm a I'm a man of the world. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no. I think really it's where you're from is basically I I think what culture you're going into. Right. So it doesn't really matter where you're born. Like I lived seven years in in Newcastle, and while right. I've still got a little bit of a screwed up voice or accent in with certain words, uh, I would not in a million years pretend that I'm from Newcastle. Like I, you know, I couldn't talk to anybody from that town and have anything in common with them. Um. So yeah, no, I think where you grew up and and the the surroundings are certainly more important than. Where you you know where you were born or like the, your initial formative years, right? And and the like the day you you moved into your 
family's new place in Canada, it was like you had spent 99.99% of your life as an English boy. Yeah. And then yeah. as, as time goes on, that just sort of like it, it shifts. And then yeah. at one point you've spent, you know, at one point when you were 16 or whatever, you had spent more of your yep. life as a Canadian. Yep, I remember it. I think it was my 14th birthday, something like that. Uh-huh. Cause we actually flew out of England on my seventh birthday, I think. Wow. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was because I, I got to go to the cockpit, which is, you don't get to do that anymore. But yeah, they let me in the yeah. cockpit and showed me around and it was nice. Um, so yeah, on, on my 14th birthday, it, it was like that tipping point where, okay, now most of my life I've been in, in Canada. Uh, there was a little bit of that weird angsty stuff, like, well, if we'd never left England, I never would have, whatever, had... It. Whatever bad thing can happen to you at 10 years old, not, not that anything really bad happened, but whatever I was right. grumpy about at the time, <laughs> it was like, oh, man, if only we'd been in England, everything would have been better, uh, which I think is just kind of, it's just totally silly. But you, uh, you move around that kind of age, you do, it, you're old enough to appreciate that there, you've are gone down one path in life rather than another. Do you have the, like, right. do you, when you moved, did you kind of feel that? Or, you know, was it, was it that much of a move for you? Because I know the cultures of Northern California and the rest of California are kind of different, but it's still in the same state, you know? It's not like everybody's laughing at you because you say tomato. <laughs> right. Um, you know, it it was a big move for me. Um, I think more at, at that, like, aged seven worldview, it was more about, like, the disruption to, like, friends. Friends, right. Yeah. Right? And it's like... I was lucky enough, you know, not every seven-year-old kid has a friend that they consider like their best friend or that they're, you know, especially fond of, but I had a friend like that. And then um, moving just was like a reset on that. I'm, sh- I'm sure you had that yeah. happen too. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I was going to be pen pals. That, right. That didn't work. <laughs> that last, lasted maybe for a letter or two, right? right? Exactly. And then, yeah. <clears throat> And yeah, it's funny. I actually, uh, as luck would have it, I ended up like coming across my old age seven best friend on Facebook and got in touch with him. And it was just one of those kind of deflating things where it's like, oh, <laughs> you and I have, we we wouldn't like each other if we met each other, really. You know, we don't. Man, I hope he doesn't tune into this podcast. That's kind of a hard thing. To... <laughs> well, you know, we just couldn't, we couldn't come up with anything. Yeah to talk about and it was kind of heartbreaking in a way because it was like that you know what what are you going to do everybody changes i mean i've got i've got friends that were good friends uh, as an adult that for mm-hmm. whatever reason we've grown apart but yeah like uh, that was the that was the hard part though is the, the 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 total upset to it's it's like um you know it's like transplanting a plant you got you take the roots out and then you got to like hmm. put them back and get them to take hold and um it seems like it's a traumatic thing for any kid and like there there just must have been some you know scar tissue left well i i don't know <laughs> i'm getting too melodramatic about it well but, you know what i mean it's like i don't know i'm i'm me like i yeah turned out pretty good you turned out pretty good uh scar tissue I, yeah that's that's a bit of a that's a first world word. problem you know like yeah that's true i moved from 
you know, my, my father's a doctor, so I moved from a nice neighborhood in Newcastle to, and you know, the suburbs of Montreal. Right. Scar tissue? I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna call it scar tissue. Yeah. Well, I'm very excited to be getting started with the Bit Splitting podcast, and I'm also excited to welcome Mapbox as the debut sponsors of the show. Mapbox is the best way to make and share beautiful custom maps, either from your own data or by using OpenStreetMap, the free Wikipedia-like map of the world. Mapbox has everything you need to make your own highly custom maps for your website, to tell stories with your data, and to make maps for mobile apps that also work offline. Check them out today at mapbox.com. You know, as a personal note, I've always loved maps, and it's just so fun to play with them, and a service like Mapbox makes it really easy to go in, start playing around with the styles of the maps. Uh, I had a good time just signing up for this. You can sign up with a free account. That actually gets you a live account on the service that you can use for up to 3,000 views per month. So it's really easy to get in, start playing around with it, see how Mapbox works for you. It's also good not only for very small sites, but for very, very large sites. Clients like Foursquare and NPR use Mapbox to deliver great-looking maps. It's a really great service, some really great people working there. So thanks again, Mapbox, for sponsoring the show. Folks, you can learn more about Mapbox at mapbox.com. So I'm a little curious about... The, so you mentioned your dad is a doctor. Um what what speaking of professions and speaking of you know the fact that you are now a professional software developer was that something that started for you as a kid did you get into that when you were so actually i i i think you stumbled into this but you're 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 bang on is that um when i moved um i got here and I, i again you know you don't have any friends not that I'm not a friendly guy, but you just don't know anybody. And you, at that age, people already have sort of established friends and, you know, right. and cliques and all that. So, you know, before you could sort of, you know, start meeting people and hanging out, I had about a summer uh, during which we didn't, I didn't do much. I just, you know, hung out. Um, and around that time, my dad bought uh, an Apple II Plus. And also, I we started buying these. I don't know, you know those books that had like little stories in them, and then a program you could type in. I don't know about the story part. I, I, yeah. I had I had like some programming magazines where you could type in. Yeah, yeah, that kind. Of, so around that kind of time, there was a series of books, and I wish I could remember. It's probably they're probably still at my parents' place. Um, the it would be like okay, here's like an adventure story, and you could type in a little program, and it would it would show you the radar screen that that they were looking at. Oh, that's and that, you kind of had to cool. figure something out, and before you could go on with the story. Um, and so I started doing that. One of them at the end was like a submarine game where you had to shoot sharks with, I forget what an asterisk was what it actually what it actually was, but I forget right. what the the conceit of the game was. Um, and yeah, I typed that in and it totally didn't work. Um, and then it would tell me that there was a syntax error on, you know, line. It's it's all in basic. So it would right. say like line 10, syntax error. And you could delete a line just by typing in, you know, 10 and pressing return. 
and I would erase the line. So for every line in which there was a syntax error, I would just erase it. <laughs> which, <laughs> yeah, slash and burn uh, yeah. Yeah. policy. Seemed like a good idea at the time when I didn't know anything. Turns out that's not how you write a program. Uh, but just sort of working through that and learning how that worked really got me into programming. So I had two, I had two things. I, I like to draw comic book characters, and I like to program stuff on the computer and for years they went back and forth with almost equal measures in a in a tiktok fashion very seldomly at the same time yeah and so what was it uh, you know i guess you got this apple too it must have been real i mean it's not like it's not like nobody was getting computers at that time but no it's like 82 kind of thing it was still pretty right about i don't know i'm guessing the year but yeah it was it wasn't super rare to have a computer but it was right. but it was uncommon, yeah. And it was that time when it wasn't like you necessarily had a computer because you were from a family of a certain amount of money, or uh, or even necessarily that your family was like technological. It was just mm-hmm. kind of like this. Uh, it seemed like you you got a computer in your house if one of your mom or dad was just kind of for whatever reason drawn to that. Yeah, and is that is that what happened? Did yeah, your dad just got. I think my dad just really liked the idea of the the computer. He thought it was very fancy and and and, and I don't know. Uh, my dad's a guy that would like buys watches with like a billion buttons on them. Not gizmo guy. Gizmo guy. Kind of a gizmo guy. Very or much gadgets, a gizmo yeah. guy. Uh, not super technological, but kind of a gizmo guy. If that makes sense. Yeah, I can relate to that. My my dad was like that, but my dad was also. Um, also in fact a computer programmer but my dad was always trying to like get the newest thing that's gonna like you know transform the way you live and you know we had home automation and stuff like that yeah that's that's cool some of that's i'm not i'm a bit different i'm i like technology i like programming a lot but i'm not much of a gizmo guy interesting like i link simple very straightforward things you know yeah, I'm not sure where I stand because I think I like the gizmos, but only if they work impeccably. So, I'm, yeah. you know, hence Apple fan. But yeah. um, it's uh, it's something where I, I, if there's a certain amount of frustration or friction with a gizmo or device, or if it seems too singularly purposed, then I'd like mm-hmm. I, it's like I'd rather almost just do it the hard way to to keep a more generic toolkit. Well, do you ever do you wear a watch ever? I don't usually wear a watch. I I um I have I have a couple because but. because of the cell phone or because uh, like it, you, no, it actually predates that. I used to not wear a watch out of defiance for the concept of knowing <laughs> what time it is. Right, exactly. <laughs> you can, can. I mean, you, in contempt of chronology, you say that as if you understand me implicitly, and I think you might. Uh, <laughs> I do. I, I could see you doing that <laughs> almost. Almost in spite of yourself, like you wish you had been someplace on yeah. time, but you weren't because you didn't wear a watch. Because yeah. screw Because I'm not one of those time slaves, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's really cool. I didn't know about these uh, these um, stories with the like. It, it seems like such a clever way to engage a kid and to, and to lure them almost into programming. I think it's brilliant. And one thing I worry about these days is that. Um, Computers are so advanced that 
I don't know if kids feel that they can, they will get traction if, if they try to start working on it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like when we were young, we could type in a very simple program and it would look not totally dissimilar from what the actual professional programs would, would look like. You right. know what I mean? You could, be, you could believe that you could make something really fancy. Yeah. I don't know if kids these days could, you know, I don't know if they can fire up Safari and be like, oh, yeah, I could make Safari because they can't. Right. I, I can't. And I, I, I'm good and I know this stuff and it'd take me forever to, to even try something like Safari. Um, and I worry a bit that that uh, dissuades people from sort of jumping into the field. Right. Uh, there, that is a good point. And uh, on the more optimistic end of things, the, the availability of programmable stuff yeah. is so much greater now that yeah. um there's still an opportunity for like like i i would like to see whoever you know whatever brilliant brains were behind this this series of books that got you into programming um i'd like i'll have to, yeah, look we'll that have to find out uh hopefully we'll find it put it in the show notes but um couldn't you just imagine stuff like this being like embedded into a, a website a browser where it in, invites kids to like program solve solve a puzzle through yeah, programming right in the, right in the yeah. browser javascript it and, and and you know the fact that like every browser has javascript which you know people will malign it but it's like a pretty good general purpose programming language oh yeah no it's and, good i like it a lot then, well, well i don't know much about it but. <laughs> you love it um it's one of those uh dirty and effective tools that that we get stuck with because despite them being academically icky, right. Actually kind of do the job pretty well. So, and the fact that it's omnipresent yeah. is just such a gift. Yes. And like yeah. anything that could like the, the fact that like you could lure a kid into JavaScript programming. It sounds so gross when I say lure a kid, but um, I mean, just like entice a kid to, you know, take up this, this programming interest Mm -hmm. um you can do this with with uh no like they don't have to download xcode they don't have to get their parents to buy a special programmer's computer yeah you don't even need a to buy a book you just have to just do it on the website so hopes maybe there's a website out there that does that could be that'd be cool so yeah i don't uh, all i know is that i don't think that kids will come into programming in the way that i did right anymore because you know what it's 30 years later and the world has moved on uh, so i don't know how they will come in anymore yeah well do, do you ever get asked like for good intro to programming books mm, um yeah on some, some variation of that and i do have a real i have yeah. a, well i have a really easy time when it's like mac or ios because i just like point them at aaron the Hillegas. Hillegas <laughs> and yeah, it's exactly. like I, you know, you can't, you can't do too, too much harm to somebody by pointing them at those books. But the, 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 the thing I have a lot more trouble with is like kids who are asking, how do I get into this industry or how do I get a job yeah. here? And it's like, for me, it's, it's, it's both been so long since I did that. And I like have a disconnect from how how do you get started these days? I mean, I know how we got started, but I don't really yeah. know. And, and I kind of get what you're saying. Like everything just seems so complex now that it's like, well, step one, get 20 years of experience. <laughs> and, you know, right. <laughs> but 
Yeah. Uh, so w- just for the listeners, you started about 60 years ago at Apple, That's right? That's right, yeah. Like right out of school. Yeah, I was the luckiest kid in California, so. Yeah. And I, I, I did something, well, not really similar, but um, I went to school. Well, you did, mu- oh, you did music yeah, after. Yeah, sec- that was my second degree, so. So you yeah. went to school in? Oh, uh, history and anthropology. Okay, and that was in a, where was that, what, in Montreal? At Concordia University, like a, a university in Montreal here. Um, and then I went, I, I don't know, I took a semester off or something and went to it on a, went around sort of the southwest of the States, like flew to Vancouver and then went down the coast and all around the southwest. Oh, cool. So you, you drove around uh, like Arizona and stuff or? I didn't drive around. I took Greyhound buses, buses and, and, and trains and stuff. I went to a place called Lovelock, uh, New Mexico or Nevada? I think it's Nevada. Lovelock. Because I liked the sound of the name. and It was on the, uh, it was on the train. <laughs> Lovelock. Thing. I, I could see a, a romantic young uh, spirit. Yeah, yeah. It, you was, know. It, was, it was totally like that. Um, I literally, like, that's a cool name. I'm going. Uh, and I, all I had was like a jean jacket and like nothing. And it turns out it's way up in the mountains. And the train only goes there like every three or four days. So I was stuck in this town for like four days, freezing my ass off in the middle of the desert, which I thought was going to be super <laughs> hot. Then there was like snow everywhere. And I'm like, I cannot believe I left Canada to come and freeze my ass off in the middle of the desert with like snow all around it. Um, but yeah, after that trip, I decided, well, I think I'm going to want a job at some point. <laughs> so uh, I... I studied, you know, I got a, um, went to like sort of a technical college to get a, a programming thing. Mostly because I've been kind of not, I, I hadn't wanted to program professionally, uh, despite it being a hobby and despite me being pretty good at it. Because um, I didn't want like a classic sort of office job where you'd sit around and, you know, right. type in the, the, the TPS reports kind this of thing. This is like me not wearing the watch, right? You just don't want to. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, at a certain point, I'm like, oh well, you know what? I like this. I'm good at it. I'll, I'll go do it. Uh, and I got recruited out of that college to do game development. So I got very fortunate because the one thing I would want to do, right. like the one thing I had been doing all by myself, was making games. I'd been constantly making games since since I was like eight. Um, well, you said earlier that you had been yeah. constantly. You had been alternating between programming and drawing co- comic book characters, and did yeah. that sort of like is that how the is that how that tension resolved itself? It's like making games, or, or did your games have graphics or characters? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I did all the graphics. I mean, such that they were they weren't great, but I, but I would I would draw them all. Um, and at that point, what what was what were what were some of your first games like? You know. Past the past the stage of typing in stuff from a an adventure book, were you working with an app an Apple mm. II still, or was this like a? Uh, no, no, I moved on to PCs. Uh-huh. For some reason, I didn't like Macs. Um, I don't know why. I think I had that. Uh, they're not a real computer. I'm a manly man with my clickety clackety. <laughs> you know, like whatever it's called. It's You're like line a Mac thing. is. Let me tell you something. A Mac is never gonna survive in a dusty Greyhound bus across the southwest of America. <laughs> this was way before then. I, I had a distaste for Max. You know, until I actually tried one in a, in a technical drawing class. And then I was like, okay, this is pretty cool. 
Um, but for whatever reason at home, I didn't, I didn't gawk them. I got into, uh, I got PCs. Um, and so I'd learned to, you know, I taught myself to program in, uh, Pascal and assembler. Yeah. 386 assembler. So one of the first games I did was called blockade. I think it was kind of like Archon. It was like a chess board that you could move around and you could like place blocks, uh, I seem to remember it being pretty cool. It worked. God knows if it actually, the rules worked. Like, maybe, I can't remember. Maybe there's just one thing you could do that would win all the time. But that was fun to do. Um, and then I did another one called, I did like a bunch and a bunch that just didn't actually go anywhere. But I did one called Duel, which was kind of a split screen map where two people would run around and blow each other up with various weapons. Uh, and that was a lot of fun to work on. And that that was uh, and now, of course, because uh, you weren't committing all this to GitHub, you probably oh, it's lost don't it. have it, or it's on some unreadable five and a quarter yeah, inch. Yeah, it's on a floppy. Yeah, it's yeah, that's lost to you know, lost to the sands of time. Yeah. Uh, the one thing I do remember about that because it, it, it was crazy was to get the performance I needed. Um, I. I would compile sprites into code. So rather than having like a bitmap image and sort of a function to draw it, you would take the image and encode it as code. Do you know what I mean? Are you um, making sense? Well, I, I sort of remember from my basic programming that you would just sort of list them as like a series of constants. Is that what you mean or is it more... No, yeah, yes, that's what you would do because you could, you could, yeah, rather than loading it from a data file on disk, you could encode it into, you could put it as data into the actual thing. But that's not what I mean. What I would, what I mean is that I would take the, the sprite and uh, so I'd, you know, read from left to, to, to right on the top line. And if there was five pixels of white, Rather than drawing each byte with its own command, like move this location of memory into into this part of the screen, uh, you could use opcodes, like like assembly opcodes, to move like four bytes at a time, and then another opcode to write like the final byte. Right. So rather than having like a general purpose, like copy one byte at a time into into the frame buffer you could compile code that would do much, much oh, faster. Okay. This is totally new to me, but I have to admit I never, I've never been a game developer or at least never been yeah. a successful one. And, um, this is not something anybody should do. I feel dirty <laughs> saying this, but, well, but it was a technique to get like the, the fastest possible way to, to draw something. And that's, and that's, you know, knowing you as I do, I sort of know that that's been one of your, one of the one of the like common threads in your career is like you have this ability to step it up and like go for a, a really clever solution sometimes um yeah well clever I don't know about clever that. in the sense that like <laughs> clever is kind but it's, yeah, the, it's this I old mean, school hacking kind of mentality that i think you don't really get unless you had that opportunity to you know, start with typing in programs from a magazine and then. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think there's a value to it. I think actually my career has been 
learning not to go for that kind of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, sort of keeping things simple and just being, try to figure out the most straightforward uh, and distilled method of getting something done. And, uh, and on that note, like I, it makes, it makes me sort of wonder, like um, I've known you for now probably, Oh geez, like uh, I think about eight years, maybe. Um, and like that. it's been a while. And yeah. uh, the first time I talked to you was you were working on something called Legion, right? <laughs> and this was a this was a yeah. Mac app, and um, it, it was. <laughs> Can't believe we're going to talk about this. Okay, and this was uh, this was something. I, I don't know what I don't know what you were doing for your quote unquote day job at the time. I was uh, working at Ubisoft at the time, I believe. And that's like a that's a game company. Sorry, yeah, yeah that's. A, I'm I'm totally a, naive about game companies. <laughs> it's one of those sort of the the. Big <laughs> it's one of the ones that everybody knows, and you should recognize it. Yeah, but uh, so okay, you're working here at this game company, and you've got this little like uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna project my my feelings onto you now. Um, mm-hmm. you've got this like itch to make your own software and. Yeah, I was sick of games, and I really loved developing for the Mac. I got back into the Mac in '97 or whenever, whenever they bought Next. Uh-huh. Okay. Because because I loved OpenStep, and uh, the Mac was the, going to be the cheapest way to sort of get my hands yeah. on that. Uh, and it took I don't know another two years before they actually came out with the OS X server, like the initial Mac OS version to you know you know that one that was really weird the had uh had like it still had display postscript rather right. than core was like oh was it was it just one of the developer previews or something or no it, it actually oh, shipped. It, was, it was called it was, server 1.0 oh, okay. okay i'm confusing it with um I'm, I'm also confusing with it with what was called rhapsody i think at the time yes so rhapsody came out as a developer preview a, sometime after that, OS X Server 1.0 came out, and that was – it looked like uh, OS 8. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. was basically displays PostScript. It was like a reskin right. next step yeah, kind of I thing. Yeah, I remember that now. Oh, God. I tried, yeah. I tried to block it, but there, there really? it is. Really? I'd like that. That, that. That's it. That's how I got into oh, the that's Mac. that's good. I'm glad, I'm glad we got you in one way or another. <laughs> but it's uh, – it's, it, you know, I, I've known you long enough now to know that you, where you are today, which, you know, incidentally is, um, among other things, I guess, uh, having recently co-founded, aged and distilled a Mac software company so far um, with Chris Parrish. And this is like the end of a long trajectory of... Of sort yeah, of no, that's true. So yeah, so I did. I started and uh, yeah, so I started out at, at Ubisoft, and I wanted to do Mac stuff. And I made an app called Legion, which was a weird contact <laughs> distributed. Yeah. It had like little. It had like so a little the, the, virtual was, world for. Um, it had for people, people. sit. Okay what, okay, what it did it? It had people sitting in a garden. And it had search terms and it had um, uh, things of interest. So, and this was before Facebook. Or, sorry, before Facebook was public. I think Facebook did exist, but I didn't know anything about it. Um, 
And what it was, was it would take your contact database, your address book, um, and go out on the web and try to find uh, what's called faux files, which is a friend of a friend. It, 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 it's a, like an XML format file that describes relationships, and, it, and it's got a bunch of tags saying what people are interested in and what their homepages are and all that. Um, and what it would do is solve a problem nobody cares about really, <laughs> which is um, while you were reading a website or, or looking at something, uh, it would peel the text out of the, the, the app that you were reading. So let's say you're, you're reading an email. It would get the, the text using the um, accessibility services. It would read the text, figure out the keywords, and f- match them against uh, the interests of the people in your in your legion, in your, in your garden and interested people would stand up mm. so you could see who would be interested in what you were looking at. And then you could easily share with them. You could like drag it on top of them to share it, or you could do another couple of other things. Uh, alternatively, you could just type something in like, uh, you know, let's say you wanted to know about, uh, programming books. You could type in programming books and people that knew something about that would stand up. Like you would, you would see them highlighted, uh, so it was kind of a way of doing this before I even knew the term, but like sort of a like a lazy tweet or like a like a crowdsourcing kind of way. Right. And I think the idea is interesting, and I but I think it's not an application that needs to be needs so to the, exist. It, it never actually shipped. Really. So it never ever shipped. It was pretty good, and you know what? It got me a job at Rogue Amoeba, so that was good. Um, but there was that point. There was I, that the, point where you had to say. I really want you. So you start off your, I mean, you don't, you don't put this much work into something unless you think it's going to ship. And then you put all this work into it. Legion. It's cool. It has a name, it has graphics. Um, you know what? So I, you know, I, I'm wrong. It did ship and it got featured by Apple on the, uh, OS 10 download page. <laughs> but that's not the kind of thing you forget lightly guy. I, I it, shipped. <laughs> it shipped. Okay. So so you, you, it did ship. Uh, it went nowhere after that. I did a couple of minor bug fixes, but by that point, I was at Rogue Amoeba. But I gave it away free, so I never made any money off it, and I didn't do a lot of support, and I didn't, I didn't see it through. I didn't make it a product, right. really. Do, yeah. do you know what I mean? So yeah, it did ship, and it did well, and it had a few thousand downloads, which is good, uh, and some, some decent feedback. But I sent it early to you, Gus, Cable Sasser, couple of other people i'm trying to remember who and all of you and i had never i didn't know any of yeah, you yeah i remember that it was cold it was a cold call man it was it was a total cold call and all of you i think to a person everybody i sent it to wrote me back with a really nice mail describing the 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 you know the issues of it either being a product or just what you thought of it or, or bugs like cable had a bug with um with his uh he uses um, a tablet, and it, it was screwing up on tablets. But every single one of you wrote me back something really nice, explaining exactly your, your thoughts on it, and I, I thought that was wonderful. I was so happy that uh, sort of well-known community members were so uh, outgoing and, and uh, welcoming. Well, that was your ta- that was your I guess that was your first like real taste of yep. the Mac, the, the famous. Famously friendly Mac community. Uh, yep. I mean, I'd read blogs and obviously I'd done research because I knew who everybody was and I'd figured out email addresses and how to email you. Uh, 
but yeah, that was my first actual uh, direct interaction with somebody in, on, or people on a more private level rather than just, you know, an email right. list. And it was great. And I, I, I think that really set the tone for how I hope to, you know, treat other people. Right. Coming, coming into the community. Well, yeah. at, at some point then there, you're working at Ubisoft and you are thinking, are you thinking when you're working at Ubisoft, I know you said you were sick of games for whatever reason. Um, were you thinking specifically, I want to work at Rogue Amoeba, or I want to work at a Mac software company, I want to make Mac software, or... I wanted to make Mac software. I wanted, I wanted to be indie. I wanted to ship Legion, charge, charge money for it, and get rich. Uh, a lot of some of that was inspired by Delicious Library, because right. it was the first very sort of opinionated, um, out of the box graf- graphical sort of Mac app. Yeah, um, and I looked at it and I thought I could do that. Not that I could do it exactly that well or anything, but I'm like, look, I know all of the graphics tricks and how to make this work. Um, and if you remember Legion, it was pretty fancy yeah. like that. You could, you know, you had people, you could change the hue of their shirts and they, they, they would animate and stuff. Um, it was silly, but it was technically apt. Um, so yeah, so that was like sort of a, I, I thought I could bring what I knew from games and it would uh, serve me well writing Mac applications. And I think a lot of it has. Um, but when Rogue Amoeba was hiring and the fact that you can work remote, I, I totally jumped at it. I, I was like, this is awesome. And I learned a lot working with those guys. That I honestly think that that is probably the smartest concentration of brains that I've ever worked with. Like brains per <laughs> headcount is like higher in that company than in any other company I've worked at, including the one I'm at now, which has two people and one of them is me. So. <laughs> the, the brain farms of Rogue Amoeba are, uh, yeah. are uh, healthy and... Yeah. Well, my, yeah. yeah. Mike Ash was still there at the time. Oh, right. Yes. He's such a smart guy. Uh, Quentin. Like everybody smart, everybody yeah. there is like Paul, like everybody. It's, it's just chock full of really smart people. So uh, that I, I learned a lot from that, both in terms of... Uh, writing Mac software and shipping it, supporting it, right. how the companies work. Uh, it was during my time there that I, that I met you, that I got to know you and Brent and, and everybody else, you know, because my first year there, they sent me to uh, WWDC. Oh, how about that? Just me. Yeah. yeah. That's a... Like nobody, they didn't send anybody else from the company, they just sent me. Right. And I'd been there like three or four months, which is crazy. I, I, it was unbelievable that they would sort of uh, well, it felt unbelievable to me that they would uh, invest that kind of kind of trust and and money. Well, yeah. none, nonetheless, so you you worked there. You obviously had a very good experience from it. You credit it with a lot of your skills now, I guess, and as far as uh, just tackling Mac software in general. Um, at some point, you, I, I, I want to go back for a minute to this um, this. Uh, just just to totally detour away from the professional computer career arc, I want to go back to this um, Greyhound bus across southwestern United States because you said you went on this trip. Was this just like a um, – were, were you supposed to come out the other end of this trip knowing that you're going to go back to school for computers or 
that you're no i just i just went i i, I don't know i i my, my plan was to just to go back to university and finish my history degree oh i see you hadn't finished yet when you went on this trip no 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 i actually didn't graduate university okay <laughs> i'm a total i'm a total slacker uh I just went on this. I don't know. I'd had it. It's like I, I wanted the break, so I took a break for for a few months. Um, and I went on this trip. And when I came back, I'm like, you know what? I I want to have a job that will employ me. Right. You know, I want to be employed. Uh, I don't know why. I don't. I, whatever. I, I I just got the feelings. Like you know what? I'm gonna make decisions that are gonna sort of make me uh more self-reliant i guess was it yeah was the outcome of that you know yeah but i guess i guess what i was getting at is like you have these um everybody does it's not like you have this totally unique um quote-unquote problem but you've you have these like things you're going for like you're going for this university degree and then you get i guess sidelined by I don't know the road trip or was that just like on a vacation, uh, from school? Uh, no, I think I took a semester off. Honestly, I don't know. I, it's not like I got sidelined by that so much as like, I just stopped doing what I was doing and then went, went, did something else. And the, the sort of the, the sorbet in the middle of those two courses was, you know, going on a trip. Right. I don't. It's it's sounding like yeah. I went to go find myself, but no, nah, it wasn't that. It was just more. I liked Roadrunner, and I wanted to go see the desert. So it was a so a meep meep adventure. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah, yeah. You're gonna go meet Wiley uh, co- co- Coyote in person, and uh, and and eat some much, peyote yeah. and talk to uh, the ghost of. Yeah, I wanted to. You know, I wanted to paint like a. Um, <laughs> Uh, what's it called? A tunnel. I wanted to paint a tunnel on a, on a right. cliff and then just run run right through it. That, that was my plan. Um, yeah, I think I just didn't like what I was doing. Stopped doing it and then, you know, took a bit of time to figure out, okay, well, I'm going to go do this other thing, which I actually really love. I really love programming. I was I did it for years as a hobby and now it's a career. So uh, I think maybe it was the... I think maybe I didn't pursue programming initially because I'm like, I I didn't foresee a job that was fun sounding. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And now here I am on Tuesday at two o'clock at home, <laughs> relaxing, just yapping. Right. Hope hopefully people want to listen. So I I I it was maybe myopic. I didn't understand what programming could could sort of offer. Uh, and you know now that I've taking that path I'm, I'm thrilled that i don't think i'd have any other career would would have been as satisfying for myself right. and well to be fair to your younger self some of the like kind of ridiculous privileges we enjoy now uh were not available to programmers yeah. back then so you know working from home yeah. was not certainly not a given and the ability to uh, you know write your own software and sell it without the aid of a publishing company. Yeah, it seemed, well, that seemed a little bit more likely because there was that shareware kind of thing going on. Uh, but certainly working in games, which is what I wanted to do, uh, seemed like like an impossible task. At the time, there was no game studios in Montreal either. 
uh, now there's a giant game uh, community here. EA and Ubisoft are both here. Uh, Warner Brothers, a bunch of other companies you don't know anything about. <laughs> War- War- Warner Brothers? But, who's, who's that? <laughs> um, it make, they make Batman okay. games. Oh, Batman, I know. Um, so, you know, you said originally when you got back from this Arizona or Southwest uh, uh, bus trip, you sort of decided to go back for computers because of that self-reliability, I think is the way you put it. And yeah. I guess that's it. Yeah. I'm not sure if I was so cognizant of exactly why at the time. Yeah. But I just knew I wasn't going to go back to history and anthropology. And therefore, my the thing I'm good at that I can actually employ me is, is computers. Right. And and what's what's interesting to me about that is um, there's been this, you know, you, you, you said you worked at Rogue Amoeba and you enjoyed that, but you did inevitably end up leaving Rogue Amoeba. Uh, I know you've also done work for Disney, Tapulous, um, other, I guess, other big companies since. Uh... Yeah, after I left Rogue Amoeba, I did a lot of um, contracting for iOS. It's funny, when I left Rogue Amoeba, it's because I wanted to ship what has become Napkin. Right. And it took me years to get that actually done. Uh, mostly because I kept taking time to, well, I had to, I had to do contracting. Uh so it's hard to like kind of ship your own app while working for other people at the same time. Yeah, I bet. I mean, it's hard enough for me to ship my own app without without yeah. any of that. But uh, it's it's it seems like a really nice kind of like you know you, it turns out that you shipped Legion way back when, and you even were featured, and it it wasn't a financial success, so it sort of didn't bring that um, self reliance completely. In, in a neat little yeah. package. Uh, but it seems like you've kind of got this repeat pull towards the complete indie life. Um, and now with this, uh, with this aged and distilled, you are really kind of like closer to that reality than you ever have been. Does that sound true? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's a, it's very fair. Um, Definitely when I joined up with Chris, things got a lot more uh, focused or, or serious because when it was just me and I was contracting, um, it was easy enough for me to just put stuff off. But once you've got a partner, uh, at least for me, I, I feel like a sense of responsibility and obligation that when I tell him something, I'm going to go right. do it. Uh when I tell myself something, I can excuse myself after. Like I can just, I, I don't have a similar sense of responsibility to the to the promises I make myself. Uh, so definitely joining up with him is really focused and, and help get the get the app out the door. It's a commitment oriented strategy. Once once you, yeah. once you I mean, commit not, to something yeah. on be uh, for the benefit of somebody else, then it changes things. Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, it's like, this is not like this at all, but, uh, you know, maybe somebody struggles with quitting smoking and then has a kid and they're like, then it's, well, I, I want to be alive for my kids. So I'm definitely going to quit smoking right. kind of thing. Yeah. Does that oh, make yeah. sense? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like a, like a, a sense of responsibility is a, is a good motivator, I think, in, in some it's people. It's sort of, uh, it, it may sort of betray, I think, a, a, a positive, um, trait that you actually 
are more concerned with other people than yourself when it comes down to it because you you sort of like have this ability to say oh it's just it's just me having to work at this game company forever <laughs> that's all that's all <laughs> but suddenly if you're like if you're like if you're if you're playing a role in inhibiting chris's sort of part of the dream that's not mm. you know you, you don't want to be responsible for his lack of success or whatever uh, i don't know i'm, I'm re- right reaching well it's just more like yeah it's just more like if i say i'm going to get a feature done by a certain day to myself I, I i don't care right uh but when i say it to him it's like i feel that yeah you know, and honestly it could just be maybe it's just pride or not wanting to look like a dick uh but whatever it is it's it it it's more meaningful to me when you when you've made a commitment to right. somebody, which is not that he brings a lot more than just a sense of commitment. I don't mean it's just some kind of dummy that sits there and I, I make promises to. This man is sounding like a real relationship. <laughs> I think you might have something. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Um, well, I wanted to get back a little bit to what you said about the uh, the Mac community and how you know when you got in touch with all of us, we were sort of heartened by our receptiveness and it seems like you have really run with that i mean you are a active and you know sort of social member of the community now yourself um Mm -hmm. are it it sort of seems like maybe you are perpetuating that you know it's it's um is that is that sort of a sense you have or is that just the natural way that you are is to be that way and it was just sort of lucky that you found all of us to be honest i'm naturally sort of introverted i'm not a super outgoing guy um i feel way more comfortable in sort of the mac community uh because you know i know a lot of people and people know who or recognize my name now uh i also pretty much know what I'm doing. So I don't feel like I'm just talking about my ass all the time. Right. Um, and yeah, but yeah, coming up in the, in the community, the, everybody's just been so warm and welcoming and, and, and everybody wants everybody else to succeed, which is, which is awesome. Uh, and it's kind of hard not to want to perpetuate that. That would, you know, that's kind of why we do singleton. Right. Uh, we wanted like initially we basically wanted a, sort of northeastern Cocoa Heads get-together party. Uh, and then we wanted to make excuse an excuse for people to come. So we decided, well, we should have some sessions. <laughs> and, and it ended up being a conference. Um, and, it's, you know, so it's grown into its own thing now. But we, we did, we approached that initially with, like, let's just get a lot of smart people together and, and sort of... Uh, help engender that sense of community that that served us so well and i think it served everybody well really yeah i I think there were some unique things about singleton the way you guys framed it to the world um for for one thing you know you've never i don't think you have ever officially called it a conference it's the singleton symposium yeah and i don't like that word anymore but i don't know i that i came up with it i think 
So, so um, what is it about? What, which, what, I'm, which I'm saying to, to not to detract from anybody, but just to put it on me. Uh, I, I don't know. You know, I think I like Symposium, and now it sounds a little bit too... Um, affected or something. Yeah, exactly. That's a good way of putting it. Seems a little too much. That's interesting. I could see it both ways. I, I think there's something about Symposium that sort of implies... Um, the, the way I sort of generously interpret it on behalf of attendees is that the attendees are part of the conversation. That's where I wanted to go with it. Yes. Yeah. So, cause I didn't want a conference. I didn't want it to be like, we're going to teach you or we're going to lecture right. you. I wanted it to be like, no, everybody's going to get together. Right. And it just so happens that if a couple of you are going to be on stage <laughs> for, for a little bit, you know, right. that's what I wanted to engender. I don't know. Maybe I'm just overthinking it. Symposium seems a bit of too highfalutin a word at times. But so, so can maybe maybe that's just me. Can you say now whether we can look forward to another uh, another singleton this year? Uh, yes, October twelfth. October twelfth. And can you say whether it will yeah. be called a symposium? Probably, just because we're we're in the habit now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and you will keep your sedils and. Uh, yeah, we're going to keep the sedils. We're probably going to not use them in the subject of emails because Google likes to put those straight in the trash. Uh, but yeah, C. Sedil Singleton, October 12th. No, we're not selling tickets or anything yet, and we haven't announced any lineup, and we're still working on all those kind of details. Are you going to come up? Oh, absolutely. Unless, you know, unless okay. I've totally spaced out on some personal commitment that is yeah, yeah, uh, is unflappable uh, but yeah i've really enjoyed the last uh, the last couple of years um and i i i actually think you have an interesting community problem now because mm-hmm. you have gone out on a, on a limb here with a conference that started as you said as just something that was supposed to be a fun little party with an excuse to get together in the Northeast, and it's turned into something that is no longer little, or or I should say it it no longer fits within the confines, fits comfortably within the confines of little. In other words, you have such mm-hmm. a success on your hands, uh, this sort of like generous giving back to a community that welcomed you has turned into a situation where um, you have a lot of people like Daniel Jalkut saying at a moment's notice, oh, of course, I'm going to come back. And yeah. a lot of people who are just wishing they could come. And uh, it's just a problem. It's sort of a problem in our community in general that it's gotten it's gotten big. And not only has it gotten big, but it's gotten big with lots of valuable, you know, very, really valuable members mm-hmm. who any any of whom in the same room you know take, taking a random sampling of them and putting them in the same room would be a great conference mm-hmm. and uh it's just a it's just a problem in general of how how you keep that kind of small community feeling of that that's one of the things that's so endearing i think it's, it's i think it's one of the reasons the mac community has this like history and reputation of um inclusiveness and sort of like helping each other out is because it did start so small. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just don't know how it's going to play out. It's, I've already seen it. I've already seen it on a bigger scale with WWDC. Apple has this challenge as well. Like how to, how to mm-hmm. accommodate so much interest and 
do you have any thoughts at all about how you can respond to that challenge with Singleton? That's a good question because, and, and honestly, it's, we, we kind of struggle with that. Um, you are right that, the, so the community has gotten so big and there's so many really bright, uh, and, and terrific contributors out there that, you know, you could walk into any bar around Moscone in San Francisco any given day during WWDC and there's an entire brain trust of, of Apple development going on in there. Um, I don't really know how to make it fair um, in terms of who, you know, available attendee slots. Right. Um, I really don't. Uh, and I think ultimately it's not going to be fair. Uh, and we'll try to make that as fair as possible. <laughs> right. I don't really know how to express that. I mean, if, if, if you do it with like the WWDC way where things go on sale and the first come first served, okay, that's fair, but you're not necessarily get, you're getting the people who pull the trigger the fastest, right? Right. Uh, both years were sold out like very, very, very quickly. Uh, and neither year, um, as, uh, Gruber mentioned that we're on sale. I don't think anybody's really mentioned that we're actually on sale be, beyond our own sort of Twitter accounts. Um, and I kind of want to keep it that way because when you sort of, I don't want to just open the floodgates so that people can just pour in. Similarly, I don't want to just be like, well, if you're kind of connected or in the in crowd, you get, in that particular crowd, then you get access. Um, do you have any ideas? Like, like, do you... uh, I don't really. Hmm. I, I I think one thing that helps um, helps at the scale of like Apple's WWDC, and it also helps at the scale of smaller conferences hmm. like Singleton. Yeah. Just for the record, is... we're about 110 people. Right, which is very—I mean, that's it's very small. It's it's, yeah. it's 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 very big if it's your first conference and you are trying to organize meals for everybody yeah. and t-shirts or whatever. But um, it's tiny. It's, very... it's tiny in, in terms of the percentage of the community that we can accommodate. Right, yeah. and you can you, you can be darn sure that far more than a hundred ten people would commit to paying for the airfare, paying for the conference ticket, paying for the hotel, paying for the time off from their work or whatever to go. So it's like, it's kind of a nice, not quote unquote, nice problem for you to know basically ahead of time you're going to sell out. Um, yeah. But well, you know, we hope we don't want to be too cocky, but yeah, we, thanks to, you know, you and, and your, your fellow speakers and, and attendees, we've got a good reputation now. So we, we, expect to be able to sell out right um so yeah go ahead well just getting back to like you know what what can i think one of the only things that can really help this problem is increased um supply you know you've got a you've got a situation right now where there's 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 far more demand for the type of experience that something like singleton gives than there is 
supply. And uh, like you said, you are one show that, that can accommodate 110 people. Um, but this is sort of starting to organically work itself out, I think, you know, on some small level anyway. There's like, for example, another conference in, you know, Eastern Canada, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, uh, there's in, in us north. Yeah, thank uh, you. Yeah, uh, good because I wanted to promote those. <laughs> yeah, and it's uh, it seems like it's very comparable. It's a there there are going to be some people maybe who couldn't get into Singleton mm-hmm. last year who go to NS North and have probably a comparable experience of community and technological. Yeah, I think so. Stimulation. Um, there's going to be a lot but, of really uh, great people there. I, I know already. Please just right. go just go buy an NS North ticket right now if you haven't already. Uh, I'm, I'm speaking, so is Luke, like one of my co-organizers for Singleton, uh, Gus Mueller, Rob Ryan. This, I, the, the list is awesome, of just the speakers, and I'm sure there's going to be many terrific guests too. And yeah, like you're saying, um, we simply can't fit all of those people right. in Singleton. We, we can't do it. Uh, so events like this, uh, you know... Maybe, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe this is the solution. Just, well, the, just well, there's, there's two. I guess there's two solutions. Like on a, the, this, this is like the vague solution, and then like the, the like practical business oriented solution is just to expand the size and the capacity of individual conferences until they can accommodate whatever number of people will come. Right. And obviously, when you're starting with a kind of like small conference feel, that deciding to go down that path means giving up something about the aesthetic of your mm-hmm. show. So, I mean, that's something you could do. You could say the new strategy for Singleton is as many people as pre-register, you know, six months in advance. That's how big of a conference hall we get. And that's how many t-shirts we make. And this is the way that some conferences like um, South by Southwest have gone. All right. Where I think what you're afraid of and what you should be afraid of is that they didn't then sort of like reach a a point of vastness that like there's almost nothing there's nothing cozy about it, I guess. Um it's like have you ever been to one of these restaurants where it's like a giant cafeteria right. room sized experience and you might even like really enjoy the food, but if it doesn't have any kind of like charming aesthetic. Right. So yeah, like for us, we, well, like I said, we started out wanting to make it like a like a good sort of get together, uh, and we have pretty specific opinions on what we want that to be. Like we, I, I'm trying to relate this to software development in, in a bit. We, uh, we know what the product is that we want to make in in terms of the, the conference. Uh, so we know, or we have, you know, what we're designing the conference to achieve a certain feel. And right. that's what's important to us. Uh, we could go the opposite way and sort of design, like optimize the conference in terms of making us money or, you know, just accommodating the most people. But that doesn't serve our, our actual goal, you know? Right. Yeah, it's a, a classic hardware problem. You actually, it actually costs something to scale, and there are consequences of yeah. 
very much doing, so. Yeah. Doing so. And that's what, something we don't usually have to deal with as software engineers. It's like scaling. It's most often free for us, yeah. 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 Well, especially if you don't have any server backend, you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's an interesting problem to have. Um, I'm really gratified at how many people uh, seem to enjoy Singleton. I, I've never been, <laughs> I've right, stood in the right. room for two days, you know, <laughs> three days. It's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like when people ask me how, how I enjoyed my, uh, my wedding. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I don't I have no idea. Yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I, know. I don't remember any, you know, I, I remember the, the, the rush of people coming by and saying hello and saying goodbye and yeah. Everybody else says they had a good time, and I ended up married. So, <laughs> I guess uh, I guess it's sort of similar with uh, with Singleton yeah. for you. But I mean, that's I, why... I love seeing everybody, and it's awesome. And I, and I but I feel a little disingenuous because the conversations are necessarily brief, and there's always something else on my mind. Right. Um, so if I have sounded like a, a bit of a space cadet during that conference to anybody i'm I'm sorry that's just <laughs> it's it's total chaos when you're actually you know in the background you're seeing something happen that you really should be fixing you know so right. it's hard but it's fun and i wouldn't i wouldn't change it you're one of the few people that i got a good conversation with last year that's because i was willing to stay up until, until four in the morning, four in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta you gotta stay up awfully late to catch guy english uh at a, a conversation prone time yeah. Well, Guy, I think that uh, that's probably a good place for us to wrap this up. It's been really great talking to you about the trajectory. I think we, I didn't, I didn't exactly plan it this way, but we sort of ended up following the trajectory of your life from birth in England to migrating to Canada to being an anthropology history <laughs> major to being a rebellious, thrill-seeking, greyhound bus riding. Answer seeker. <laughs> answer seeker. That's, answer kind, that's seeker. kind. That's very kind. To uh, to eventually, of course, getting into the Mac and teaming up with great people at Rogue Amoeba, uh, Ubisoft, Ubi, Ubi, Uba. Ubisoft, Ubi. Uh, Disney, Tapulous, and finally, culmination. My favorite part, of course, as an indie software developer myself, is your um, success with. Aged and Distilled's new app, Napkin, and of course your your uh, your sort of parallel successes running, co organizing, and uh, sweating the details of the Singleton Conference. Uh, so I think it's a uh, there's a theme in your life of um, it, it feels to me like you 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 have these pursuits that are by no means. Um, they're not like, you know, these pursuits are not like a waste of time, but nonetheless, you are drawn by this like little glimmer of something shining out of the corner <laughs> of your eye. And uh, right now, I think maybe Napkin is uh, the latest shimmering object to hmm. catch your attention. But I will be very curious to follow the continuing trajectory of your career as you uh, continue to share your skills and talents and your social organizing with the rest of us thanks well you make a lot more sense of me than i than i can make of myself so <laughs> thank you for that well it's been great chatting with you and you i will look forward to another 4 a.m chat with you in montreal this october sold 
I'd love to, love right, to see thanks. you there. Okay. Thanks a lot for coming on the show. Thank you. Well, folks, that wraps up the first episode of Bit Splitting. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen, and I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did enjoy it, please consider leaving a review on iTunes. Thanks again.